Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Okay, continuing on in our conversation in 2610. Uh, two weeks ago, we spent a great deal of time talking about uh, uh, this situation David finds himself in that he can easily kill Saul. For the second time, uh, it's a perfect setup. Um, it it would almost appear as though God has given Saul to David on a silver platter. It would be very easy to look at it that way and say that, "Look what God has done, made it possible for me to sneak into the camp. I have the king's spear in my hand. It would take just a very simple motion in the silence of this moment to just zoom." just stab it in his chest and kill him. How easy. Now again, the second time. Remember the first time was in a cave and Scripture says Saul goes into this cave to relieve himself and David is hiding around a rock in a corner. I mean, he's this close. Pull out his, 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 his sword and that would be it. I mean, it would have been so simple. But David doesn't do it then and he doesn't do it now. So we talked at length about uh, revenge and uh, uh, the fact that if we seek revenge on somebody, that's the only punishment or penalty that other person gets. Because what we've told God is, if we seek revenge on somebody, we're telling God, I am God, God, you step aside, I will institute my own justice and judgment on this person. And if we do that, God says, okay, go ahead. What God wants is, for us to be smart enough to realize that God is God, and we are not. Therefore, we need to listen to what God says, and God addresses us. He says, I will avenge. I will take care of that other person if you let me. But if you do it, that's all the other person gets. But if you let me do it, I'll get him a lot more than you ever will. <laughs> right? So... And that's we looked at the passage where that, 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 that's uh, when you're then, rather than seeking revenge, Scripture teaches us to actually be extra nice to that person that, by convention, you would say, I need to get even with this person. But when you do the Christian thing and do the opposite, kind of like when Jesus instructs us to turn the other cheek when someone strikes us, it changes the dynamic entirely. If you get even with somebody, they're going to get even with you. You're going to get even with them, they're going to get even with you. It's just going to, that's how wars get started, right? It's going to escalate. But if you as the Christian decide to do it God's way, to allow God to take care of this situation, and you instead do what God says, and that is, I will be nice to you. I will, I, I, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to drink. If he's, if he's hungry, give him something to eat. So even if he's not hungry, and you show up on a, on a cold day like this with a, uh, uh, some homemade soup that you made. I was just thinking of you today and wanted to give you some, some, some soup. There's no lima beans in it, so it, 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 it'll be fine. Uh, it's really, really good soup. Thank you. God loves you and so do I. And you turn and leave. Is that a hint? You want soup? No. <laughs> no, I just don't want lima beans. That's all. I'll eat anything else. Just no lima beans. 
Uh, but you see how that changes the dynamic, right? Now, how can another person be mad at you after you just br just brought them some soup, right? So now that person is stopping to think, gee, you know, I can't be mad at this person anymore. The, a similar teaching Jesus gives us is um, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' day, the Romans occupied Israel. So it was Roman law. Not Jewish law, it was Roman law. So remember, they, the Jews had to come and they were asking Pilate for permission to kill Jesus. Because they, they no longer had that right themselves. And Pilate tries to get Jesus off the hook. He keeps saying no. He offers to them this terrible, you know, pedophile murderer guy named Barabbas, offering him, you don't want him on your streets, you know, which one do you want? This guy or, the, or, or this nice guy, Jesus? He's trying to get him off the hook. He's trying everything he can. In fact, he refuses to kill Jesus. He flogs him, gives him 39 lashes. He says, that's it, I'm done. And the people keep crying out, crucify him, crucify him. But and Pilate, that's when Pilate says, I wash my hands of this situation, you go do with him whatever you want. I'm not doing it, you're doing it, but I give you permission to do whatever you want. And so the crucifixion then is actually a Jewish punishment. So the Romans are in charge. And they actually had a law that at any time, we, we see that with, with Jesus taking the cross. He, he collapsed there in the street. The soldier grabs a guy from the crowd and says, you carry the cross. So the law was, if a Roman soldier tells you to do something, you have to do it. The specific law was, if a Roman soldier has a heavy pack and asks you to carry it, by law, you have to carry it one mile. Exactly one mile. That's the law. So you have to do that. You drop the bag, you say something under your breath nasty to the, to the Roman soldier, and you turn and go back to whatever you were doing. Jesus' teaching is, carry it two miles. That when the soldier says, okay, your service is done, I'll take my bag again, you look at him and say, oh, no, sir, I'd like to carry another mile, please. What? <laughs> Who does that? Christians. Right? So you can imagine now, the first mile, the soldier is used to Jews being you know, angry and bitter and you know, you know, just, I can't believe they're, they're just grousing the whole time. And you're not doing that the first mile, but the second mile now, you're whistling a happy tune, smiling. And I can just about guarantee you, during that mile, that soldier's going to ask you some questions. <laughs> there's there, there's going to be a conversation here, right? So rather than doing what seems natural to us the seeking revenge the uh the the you know if you're mean to me i'm going to be mean back to you or at the very least i'm going to harbor a whole lot of anger and and animosity and boy if i ever have a chance i'm going to get even with you type of of mentality <laughs> jesus says you have to you must erase all that from your memory banks you can no longer act that way and call yourself a follower of mine. That sounds great in theory, doesn't it? <laughs> Comes to day-to-day -day practice, it gets, gets a little tougher. But trust me, every occasion of that is a test. And God wants us to pass the test. So start doing it and resign yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. When somebody hurts you, when somebody says something nasty against you, when somebody spreads rumors about you, when somebody slanders you, you know, 
don't get even. If you, you know, spread something ugly about me, I'm going to spread something twice as ugly about you. That's pretty much the Old Testament eye for eye, tooth for tooth principle, right? Mm -hmm. Which was legal. But Jesus says no more. Again, serving them out. You are, we were always taught that, but we're not doing that anymore. Instead, be kind to your enemy. Show your enemy kindness. Make them some soup. Or in the summertime, take them some ice cream. I like ice cream too, Joe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, but do you see how that changes the dynamic? This is practical, down-to-earth, everyday Christianity. But we have to have the theory in our head first as to what, what we're trying to do. So here's David again with an opportunity to kill Saul, be done with this, and assume the throne. I mean, this is win, 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 win for David. He gets rid of his enemy. He finally gets to be king. He gets to rule in such a way that he knows will be much better than this nutball Saul is doing. He'll be able to get the nation together. He'll be able to do all of God's work. So he's not being selfish. He's not, not being you know, self-centered about this. He was commissioned to do a job for God. Right now, I can start my job. But he says no. But again, I want to focus now on why, why David does not see this as a golden opportunity, as something that God himself has placed in front of David. He refuses to kill Saul because somehow he figures out God does not want me to do that. Now he figures out God doesn't want him to do it because there is a higher calling here. There's a higher principle than David assuming the throne. I'm supposed to do that. So I'm just going to help it along. But David says, no, I can't because there's something else bigger that's stopping me. What is the bigger thing? That... Okay, well, there's yeah, murder for sure. So don't do that. But again, this looks like God is setting it up. I mean, offering me this 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 wonderful opportunity. Saul was anointed by God. Okay, so he's, he's listening to the Holy Spirit, and and Saul is anointed by God. So the Holy Spirit is telling David, you don't lose an anointing. I mean, you can change the relationship in the anointing, but you're still anointed, and that's why we still say to this day. The Jews are still God's people. You see? That, that has not changed, even though they have not done what they, what they were supposed to do for the past 2,000 years. They are still God's people. And so we are now simply considered as an extension of the chosenness of these people. But when it comes down to it, there will be a separation. There will be, just because you're born as God's people doesn't mean you, you get heaven because of your birthright. You get heaven because of the way you live your life. But still chosen. So basically we can think today that God has chosen, you know, Jesus came to save the whole world. The whole world is chosen. Now being chosen is different than actual participation. <laughs> right? Is acceptance of the chosenness. So there's always a response on our part. But David in this situation knows that Saul was anointed by God, therefore I cannot 
intercede. I, I can't break into that. I can't place myself above God and say, I will take, take this life, in other words, I will take away this anointing so that I myself can be anointed. Two times he refuses to do it. Now that's a big test. But he passed the test with flying colors both times. So, and like Deb's saying, it, it would also be classified as murder. This is a premeditation. I'm standing over his body thinking about this. <laughs> so it's not a, an accidental death. This is premeditated. I've thought about this. I've placed myself in a situation where I can kill this guy. And I will now take the opportunity to kill him. So and on many grounds, he knows that there, there's something bigger than this particular situation even though it looks like the perfect setup and you can imagine I get rid of my enemy and I get to get get the throne I mean that's win-win for me but he sees the bigger picture of what God really wants and back in Romans chapter 12 that we looked at a Couple, couple weeks ago there's you know a, a critical critical verse in there so let's let's go back to Romans I want you to take take a look at this actually we're, we're, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 13 Romans 13 Romans 13 um Two weeks ago, we, we, we took a look at this passage because it, it, it teaches us what we are to do with our anger, we're supposed to, you know, what we're supposed to do with our, our seeking revenge and all of that. And the bottom line, last verse, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. <clears throat> In other words, a bowl of soup, right? So that's the command of God. And you're going to do that or you're not. But now, look at how chapter 13 begins. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Right? So what this is saying is, and David knew this, is that the anointing is that God himself has placed Saul in that position. That all rulers are there because God wants them to be. Now, of course, you're thinking, well, did God want Hitler? God didn't want Hitler, but God was able to use Hitler for the greater good. So everyone must submit himself to the authorities because the authorities are there because God has placed them there. If you do not submit to the authorities, you are not submitting to God. I have a question about Go ahead. That. My first response would be there's probably a good chance we will never know the extent of that, but how, you know, they say when a butterfly flaps its wings, it has an effect over in China. <laughs> the butterfly effect. Um, yeah, it just it, when, when something happens, and some, obviously something big, it, it does have a, a ripple effect. Um, the, 
that's not the only occasion that has ever happened to the Jews either. I mean, there's been a number of occasions. So you go back to the other biblical occasions. Why did God allow his people to be captured by, by the Babylonians and taken away into captivity for generations and generations? Well, because Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and you know, some, some stories came out of that that 4,000 years later still impact us. So a, a greater good, a bigger, more impactful effect occurred as opposed to some people going through a difficult time or actually dying. In the grand scheme of things, I mean, the, the, the Jews being uh, in, in Egypt, I mean, they weren't captured. They were actually living there, <laughs> right? They chose to come and live there because of Joseph and everything went great until the new Pharaoh came into power and he looked around and said, there's more of them than there is of us. We need to subdue them and make them our slaves. Right? So, I mean, just, so why does God allow those kind of things to happen? And because, well, because I want to be able to show you a whole bunch of really good plagues and part the Red Sea and, and, and have you develop through those 40 years in the wilderness and all of that to create my people. So oftentimes, yes, there is a, a difficulty. And granted, World War II was a great difficulty. Uh, but God is able to use that so that next generations will, will benefit from that. But again, you know, there's a lot of it I'm sure that we don't see, but I can't wait to get to heaven and, and see that from God's perspective. Oh, okay, that's what you're trying to do, right? So like, he didn't put Hitler there. God did, did not create Hitler to, to be there. But when that starts happening, God already has the plan to, to get around that. And Hitler was in power for about six, seven years, and ah, he's gone. Yeah, so it, you know, it's, it's for a, a season, I guess. What do you think, Bobby? With uh, one of my educators over the years, Within four years, the state of after the end of the Second World War, the state of Israel was created because many nations felt uh, compassion toward the Jews at that yeah. point, which that had been going on for decades. Uh, the argument over yeah. the uh, the Jewish people having their own homeland. So within four years of the end of the Second World War, they created the state of Israel. So see, big yeah. bigger picture, you know. So. You would never realize that in the middle of World War II, but like I say, immediately afterwards, that was the, the worldwide response is these people need a, need a, need a permanent home, and it was, it was created. So um, it was certainly a lot of technological advances, um, including, you know, the atom bomb. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that just, I mean, so it really accelerated a lot of new inventions and, uh, and all of that, and it, it just... Yeah, but it, it comes down to our, especially when we don't understand, when it doesn't make sense. Like, God, what in the world are you doing with Hitler? <laughs> because, like I say, this, this is not saying, you know, all semi-good to really good leaders are in power because God has put them there. The rest are not. It's saying all. All authorities, all governments, all powers are there because God has made it possible for that to happen and God is working with that. So the, the authorities that, that exist have been established by God. So we need to look at it from God's perspective, that even when we don't understand it, we at least need to understand the author or the creator of the situation. And that's, that's, that's where trust comes in. 
You see, it, it's not trusting the situation. It's trusting God in the situation. And all the better when in that terrible situation we have our Christian brothers and sisters with us because now we can say, I trust God in you to help me through this situation, you see. But it comes down to the basic understanding that God is with us. Now, can you trust that? See, David is trusting that. We're going to see another outstanding example of that coming up here, I'm sure, before the morning is out. So that's verse 1. So look at verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So, some pretty clear teaching there. Now again, you know that. You're either going to follow that or you're not. Even and especially when you look at a government leader and scratch your head and say, I don't understand this, this person seems pure evil. You have to take into account God is there. And God will get him in the end anyway. Right? It happened with Hitler. It happened with Stalin. It happened with Caligula. It happened with Nero. It happened with all of them. Idi Amin. You know, all of them. They're here and they're gone. They're terrible weather here, yes, but somehow God is taking care of this. And somehow if we can trust that he is part of even this evil, this terrible situation, we are the ones who are blessed. As opposed to trying to work against that which God has instituted. So I share that with you because all of that, yeah, that's New Testament, this is Old Testament David. David somehow knew that. In his relationship with God, he knew that. Saul has been commissioned by God. I, I cannot tamper with that. So the only thing I can do is stay away from this, this guy. So go back to 1 Samuel 26.10. Because it, David actually tells us exactly what the right answer is. The conclusion is, basically, it is not mine to decide. But look at the quote. The Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come, he'll die naturally, and, and he'll die, or he will go into battle and perish. So one of those, you know, he's going he's gonna to die eventually. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be 10, 20, 30 years from now. But what David is saying is, I trust God with that conclusion. See why I say it's simple but not easy? <laughs> right? Because we won it yesterday. But David is, is able to be patient and trust in God and his plan. And more importantly, David is willing to say, I will not tamper with God's plan. I will simply put myself into God's plan and go wherever God's plan takes me. Would that not be a nice way to live? <sighs> to trust in God in, 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 in that way. You know, really the same thing applies to us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So we don't like the way things are. Yeah. And we can either go ahead and live through it or die. And you win either way. If you're a Christian and you die, you're in heaven. Right. That, that was Paul's conclusion. Whether I live, whether I die is not the issue. If I, if I live, yeah, I'm going to suffer and it's going to be miserable here, but I'm going to have a chance to talk to a lot of people about Jesus. That's a win. And if I die, I get to go hang out with Jesus forever. That's a win. Whichever way it is. Don't care. I'm just going to serve serve the Lord. So I, I, I'll use the example of uh, famous theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. Lutheran pastor in, in Germany. Um, and he's seeing what's going on. And he doesn't like it. This guy is evil. He needs taken out. So he and a couple of buddies construct a bomb, put it in a briefcase, and somehow figured out what, what Hitler's schedule was that day, and he was going to be in town at some Bedford Springs or something for a gathering of generals or something like that. And they put this bomb under, under the desk, under the, the table, that, the, the conference table that, uh, that was there, on, with a timer, knowing that during this time is when Hitler would be here, and he always sits at this end of the table. So we're going to put the bomb right underneath there. Genius plan. We can take Hitler out, we can end this war, we can save millions of lives. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The bomb went off, the table, the desk was, was, was so big that it absorbed most of the shock and Hitler just got knocked to the ground, had a few scrapes and that was about it. The uh, uh, military police did their research and these guys are good. They actually figured out who, whose assassination plot that was. Found out it was Bonhoeffer's, arrested him, threw him in concentration camp. In the concentration camp, now with his plan not working, he figured out that wasn't God's plan. God never asked me to assassinate Hitler. A golden opportunity that didn't work because it wasn't God's plan. God wanted Hitler around for a little while longer. And again, we'll probably never figure out why. <laughs> but that's okay. Because, see, it's not our plan, it's God's plan. And there's that basic, simple trust. So when, you know, when anything like that happens in life, when we, we, just, we don't know why that happened. What, in this case, why is Saul so evil to David? I mean, here, coming up, he's going to ask him, you know, what did I do? Come on, give me a reason. I mean, this is driving me nuts. You're chasing me into the desert trying to kill me repeatedly when I've done nothing. It makes no sense. But you see, David is able to look beyond that and say, okay, this is, stuff happens. This is, this is my life right now. But my life is in God's hands, you see. So it's not mine to manipulate and change and make it the way I want it to be. The Christian response is, David's response is, I need to change my mindset, my attitude, so that I am now fitting into God's plan. I can't kill Saul. I can't live with Saul. <laughs> okay? I have a few options at that point. The only thing I can do is live in this stinking desert with these, these smelly guys, right? Because there's not a lot of water for bathing or drinking and not a lot of food, right? Got 600 guys and... It's miserable. It's not pleasant. But 
I'm willing to take this time and let God do what God is going to do. So David is saying, I don't know when this is going to happen. It could happen today, or it might not happen for another 30 years. Either way, I'm okay with it. Now, the good news is, it was pretty much the next day. <laughs> right? But you see, if, if, if David had killed Saul this night, that would have changed the entire plan. I mean, look, look what Jesus did. I mean, he kept, kept telling the disciples, how much longer do I have to be with you guys? <laughs> He's really getting frustrated. It's like, you guys are driving me nuts. In other words, I want to get off. You know, let's, let's get things going. But then in the Garden of Gethsemane, three hours, praying. Now, Jesus is God. He's praying to God. He's, he's talking to himself, <laughs> right? But over the course of three hours, the conclusion is, not my will, but yours be done. You see? That's submission, that's trust, that's faith. I don't like what's about to happen to me. But I will willingly go through it because I know, God, this is your plan. So, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, all of those are the result of people just knowing that this is what God wants me to do. Whether I live or whether I die is not the issue. The issue is my, my faithfulness to God and his plan. If I get blessed as a result of that in this life, great. If not, that's okay too. Because I will receive the eternal blessing. And that's what we're really working toward. A pure trust in God. Now, here's, here's the simple truth. You can only be like David and able to see God at work and be able to trust in God if you are practicing on a day-to-day -day basis in the little things of life this basic patience and trust in God. David was able to not kill Saul because he had been doing that every day. So now when the big thing is before him, he can clearly make a decision. You can't conjure up this kind of faith, this kind of, of trust, this kind of patience at a moment's notice if you have not been practicing it throughout your life. So start today. Start using the opportunities you have to demonstrate your basic faith in God. Because David learned a very valuable lesson. Patience and restraint are the path to God's best plan. Violence only begets more violence. I mean, you already knew that much, right? So if you don't want more violence in your life, stop giving violence. Stop seeking revenge. Let God take care of it. Instead, patiently wait for God to do what God is going to do. What other revengeful thoughts do you have? That's a big topic. How are we as a church supposed to handle things like the government gay marriage or some of these other um, issues that oppose our beliefs? But, they're, but it's under the government, so it's 
authority, so right. probably God wants it that way. We, if we know a law is against God's will, mm -hmm. we should do what we can to change, it. to change it before it happens, to stop it before it happens. Yeah. If nonetheless it becomes law, then we have the choice of do I follow the government instituted by God or do I follow the word of God? So see what David is doing. It's, it's always the highest calling. So my thought would be it's the word of God that is the highest calling. It's because we know that governments, we know that leaders for the most part are not God-fearing, Jesus-believing folk. So the higher calling is always what God clearly says is the right thing to do. And if that means then that we oppose, we oppose the government when the government says you must do this or else, then we, we have to be willing to do that. Much like the, the early Christians were not asked to renounce Jesus, they were simply asked to bow down to worship the emperor. Now you shall have no other gods before me, that's a pretty high calling, right? First commandment. So they had a choice to make. The government is telling me to do this. God has ordained this government. But God has also said this. Which one's more important? So that's a pretty simple decision at that point. We decide to do the higher calling and whatever the consequences are, the consequences. So Jesus is also saying walk that second mile. Carrying the path. Right. So it oftentimes, yes, is more expanded. You know, the law was... To honor the government, you had to carry it one mile. Right. Jesus adds a whole other layer to it. Yeah. So it's. It, I guess what what that means is is these issues are usually a lot more complex than than simple black and white. Uh, that's why Jesus says, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But now you can't do that anymore. You know, if you hate your brother, uh, it's the same as killing him. Uh, you know, it just adds a whole other dimension to it that. Actually, we liked it better when it was, <laughs> it was more simple. Yeah, I could deal with that. But now we have to, you know, we, we have to think. And that's why I've, I've made the analogy that you know, the Old Testament is, is uh, relationship with God as a six-year-old. The New Testament is relationship with God as an 18-year-old. You're old enough now to, to process. You're old enough now to, to take into account a few other Evidence, as opposed to very uh, uh, linear black and white thinking of a child, you're not to your age 12, 13, 14, can you start to think abstractly? Can you begin to, to, to not just look at that, but you can look at this, how it relates to that? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's more complex. It, it makes us talk more. It makes us think more. It makes us pray more. Uh, but that's, that's what God says is the best thing for us. Rather than just, just going through the motions of law, now we have to really put, put some thought into what we're doing and uh, uh, expand our, our, our thinking considerably. It just seems to me that that's a total contradiction to what he just said. Good. Say some more. You are always to obey the law of the land. Mm -hmm. That's always. All things happen 
for the good of those that love the Lord that are called according to his purpose. Those laws that we don't like, like the gay thing, uh, many other ones, like you, you must have insurance, you must do these certain things. If we're to do them, we're to do them, whether it suits us or not. Can't you always find an exception? Like, can't you, can't you always say that God hates uh, gay marriages? He hates divorce. So if we're to obey the law of the land, I don't see how you can say except when. Well, but the, <coughs> it's not an exception. The law of the land is God-ordained, and the word of God is God-ordained. Right? So it's not coming from two different sources. We're not making a choice between two dissimilar things. We're making a choice based from the same source. So then it simply comes to the higher calling. Uh, Jesus talks about paying taxes. You know, rendering to Caesar. So a Christian response is, I mean, you could, you, you could struggle with, if, if you're greatly opposed to war, knowing that a certain percentage of each dollar you give in taxes goes to buy bombs and guns and you're greatly opposed to that, that's, that's going to be a struggle for you. But the higher calling is the government has been placed here by God. This is a law of the land. Therefore, now don't give them all your money, but render under Caesar what is, what is Caesar's. So you understand what I'm saying? It's, it, it's, it's from the same person. So it's... It, it's not, we're not comparing apples and oranges here. This is just two shades of the same thing. And so we're looking to find what is the most important. Now, not, not every situation has the choice. Some are real clear. But yeah, there are some that well, when a government is involved, okay, the government says to do this. So I, I personally have not found a, a justifiable reason in Scripture to warrant me not paying taxes. I would like to. <laughs> so that I can sleep at night and feeling justified. I'm doing the, the, the most important thing for God. But what I read is the most important thing for God is to pay my stinking taxes. So I do. Right? So it's, it, it's the, higher, the higher calling. Much the same as you know, uh, hating your brother, murdering, all those things. It's like, you know, that's not really the issue. The issue is your, your trust and your allegiance to God. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of just practical, everyday examples of that. But we need to look at all of them that way, that this is, this is the, higher, the higher calling. So follow the government until the government expects you to do something. Yeah, probably the most outrageous example would be if the government yeah, passed a law today and said that every American has to kill another, uh, murder another American every day, or we will kill you. Now what would you do? <laughs> right? Murder's wrong, right? Can we, can we get an amen to that? Right? So, all right, so we know that's wrong. That's a pretty clear black and white example. There's no circumstance under which God would authorize us to murder. In other words, well, I've got to kill somebody today. Jim, you're close enough. There you go, right? Um, yeah, that, there's no, no Christian basis for that. We would never be able to convince ourselves of that. But the government, authorized by God, is telling us to do that. What, what would we do? That's much easier. But yes, there are some other slighter shades of gray that, <laughs> that that's just ever so slightly more important. If that's the case, then go with that. 
but again, it, it causes us to think a lot more, doesn't it? That, yeah, we got to really, really process, you know, what God really, really wants. So always go for the highest. And I think the Holy Spirit would also dictate to you what that would be. If you're willing to ask. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So, yes, all the, all the more reason to, to, to pray. And, yeah, I, I, I do think these situations, just day-to-day -day life as, as, as we experience it, must cause us to pray. Must cause it because I don't know God. Holy Spirit, re reveal that truth to me. And Jesus says, asking shall receive. So that humble submission is what wins the most bonus points with God. So we will, in fact, come, come to that, that knowledge if we're willing to ask. And if we're submitting to the government or the, those authorities, we just have to accept their punishment then. If we elect not to right. do this, then right. so be it. Then it's we, we know what the consequence yeah. will be. <laughs> and it's much the same as you know, traffic laws. I mean, I, I guess I could convince myself that uh, stop signs are, are, are evil. I will not honor stop signs. Well, when I go through, through a stop sign and I get hit, <laughs> or I go through a stop sign and I get, get a ticket, sorry, that's the consequence. I, so, yeah, you have to be aware. Then, again, the early Christians were well aware that when I refused to bow down to worship the emperor... That means I will be killed. We're talking about the rubber hitting the road. I mean, you know that. I mean, one day's surprise. It was a, oh, didn't see that coming. Right? That's exactly what will happen. You knew that. That's your choice, though. But again, what's the higher calling? Is the higher calling for me to stay alive and in so doing water down the faith, add another God to the one true God, or is it to stick to the faith and trust that God will, will take care of me, if not in this life, in the next. Now, the neat part is that, I mean, there, there is historical evidence from, from the, the, the pagans, from, from the Romans themselves, of Christians who accepted the consequence of that choice. I will not bow down to worship the emperor. Do with me what you will. And there are stories of, you know, they're burning Christians at the stakes. And Romans are seeing angels come down and take care of them as they burned and kind of protect them. Not that they didn't die. They still died. But that, that experience was not, was not painful, was not, not agony to them. And now, welcome to heaven. <laughs> right? So, I mean, again, big picture. So there's really nothing we do today that is isolated only for today. I mean, what I'm teaching you today will likely impact you for the rest of your life, will it not? You don't just leave it here. You're supposed to integrate it and take it with you. So any act of, of love will impact you for the rest of your life. Any, any act of hatred will impact you for the rest of your life. So everything we do to each other is a lifelong process. It's not done in isolation. So we need to consider that, that, and that's why the Bible keeps telling us to encourage one another. Be helpful. Say some nice things. Encourage each other in this faith, because the goal is we all want to get to heaven. So let me help you and you help me. Let's, let's do this together. I want to ask you something. I was confronted 
weeks ago with a person that I was talking about my sister's minister in her church as a lady. Well, oh boy, here we go. This person <laughs> said, oh, that's against God's will. He said, I would not go to a church that has yeah. a woman minister. I said, well, I can't feel that way. But then the person got the Bible out and read the scriptures about, you know. In God. Corinthians. Yes. <laughs> and also about sexual morality and all. And I said, well, now, our minister was saying that this was the old law. And now when you go into the new law, it changes. And I forgot to say, you know, we're all saved by grace. There it is. And I forgot. That's a good comeback always. <laughs> I should have done that, but after I left, I yeah. thought, that, boy, they got the script, uh, book out and read all this. And I thought, well, I would still go. But you, you, you see, what, what was, yeah, the spirit, you know. In you was saying that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like God. Yeah, you know, why? Why would God, you know, only allow men to to be pastors, to be leaders? I mean, it just makes no sense. Because in this old scripture, that men is the head of the household. That was the culture. In in, in fact, you know, in in Old Testament times. Ladies, I'm glad there's a lot of ladies here. I want to see your faces. This is so funny. Uh, if, and, and actually, Paul brought that up with the, the Corinthian church. So yes, it's definitely Old Testament, but there's one example of that in the New Testament. And that's what that guy was using. Was Here it says right here in Scripture that you know, you're not allowed to have women lead. Well, because the Corinthian church, it was an example set for the Corinthian church because the women were so nuts. They, they had been in this old, old covenant law, not allowed to do anything. The law was, if you got a question, keep your mouth shut and go home and ask your husband. <laughs> that was the actual law. You're not allowed to even ask a question in public. right? So your husband knows everything, you ask him. You know different, don't you? <laughs> right? So, I mean, practically it makes no sense at all. Uh, but that was the law. But Paul actually brings it back to, for the Corinthian church, because the Corinthian church, women who had lived like that all their lives, now all of a sudden the Christian church says, in Christ you're free. The Christian church says we're all equal. Christian churches say there is no favoritism. So whether male or female, Gentile or Jew, remember how it goes? Right? So there's no, there's no differentiation. In other words, we're all equal. Man and woman. Right? So a man doesn't, doesn't know more than a woman. Often less. Uh, uh, but you know, can't teach better than a woman. Can't do anything better than a woman. We're all in this together. So that's, that's the New Testament example. Absolutely. But in the Corinthian church, these women heard that, I'm free, I get to do anything I want. And so they start taking their, their spiritual gifts, in particular speaking in tongues, and went bananas with it. I'm free to speak in tongues, therefore I will. So the preacher's up there preaching, and all the women in the church start talking in tongues. You know, and they just, so everybody, it's, it's mayhem. The public worship of God is just pandemonium. It looks like a riot. People rolling on the floor and doing, you know, gyrating, doing all kinds of goofball things. And, but it's the women doing it. The men are just sitting there. 
You know, this isn't working. I'm trying to listen to what this guy has to say. So Paul just shuts it down and says, you guys, women are not allowed to speak. <laughs> you know, so he, he lowers the boom on them. But every other letter he writes. I mean, we looked, uh, what book were we looking at? Uh, what was the end of the Romans? The last chapter of Romans, he gives a list of you know, like all, all his peeps, you know, all these people who have helped him over the years and all that. Nine out of ten of them are women. <laughs> I think there's only like two men in, out of 20. That I mean, he's elevating women. He, in every letter, he says, you know, uh, this, this woman is, is, is a great leader. Listen to her. So, I mean, there's a thousand examples. So, but what, here's what, you know, the, the law-minded person, the, the, the Pharisee among us today, always goes back to the law. It's hard, fast rule, this is the way it is. And I can find, if I can find a verse of scripture that supports what I want to say, therefore it is law. Well, give me a chance to have a conversation. Well, you have one passage that says, a New Testament passage that says, yeah, women are allowed to speak. Let me show you my 20 that says women should be able to speak. <laughs> now, which one do you think carries the most weight? Right? So the Corinthian example is a specific example for that church. And all the rest of the churches, Paul has elevated women. In fact, bypasses most of the men. He, he works with women constantly. So it's just, it's just not true. It's just not true. Well, that's what I tried. To, I didn't argue. I thought there's no use in arguing because when the person brought the Bible out and read all these scriptures, yeah. I thought, okay, you believe what you want to and <laughs> I'm listening to the Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> so if, when I'm gone from here, there's probably a 50-50 chance your next pastor will be a woman. So I expect you to, to lead, lead, lead the charge of, of this congregation to, to embrace and welcome this woman. But I, I, I suspect there's still a little bit of that here in this church. If that were to happen, it would be a, would raise a few eyebrows and perhaps person or two might get mad leave or something but oh well yeah it, it, because it, it just it's just silly it's just absolutely silly well this was methodist church that the lady was yep. in yep so. now I've, I've i've been in churches where yeah it, it really has been an issue well, and I uh went to brethren churches that have the ladies for pastors too yep well could you imagine if you wound up with a a, a black female pastor <laughs> Right, because that'll bring up a whole other contingent. Right, so yeah, it just why with God there is no differentiation, then therefore there should be not among us. That's all there is to it. So, but, in all honesty, if it wouldn't be for women in the church, the church would be in a world of hurt. Did you figure that out, did you? A long time ago. Oh, <laughs> but you know, that, that's why I'm always promoting men, especially in the jam program, to get involved. Because, Absolutely. I mean, it makes a huge difference. You know, if, if, if it's all women, the message we're sending to these little kids is Christianity is for women. Yes. I mean, that's the subliminal message they get. And believe me, they, they, they grow up and believe that. So we've got to get some men involved there just to be an example that... I've, I've chosen Jesus also. Jesus also. I mean, that just... It, it also perpetuates the uh, role of the women being in the subservient yes. positions. You know, you, yep. you, the man, can be the pastor. These women are good enough to teach Sunday school. 
But yep. You know, and and that has, of course, society has been really slow about. Yeah. Regardless of what book says, society has really been slow in drug graffiti. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone, those things that women had to uh, yep. to get the right to vote. To every everything that every right that they got that God says they always had, they had to uh, fight tooth and nail for. It. Yep. So yes, un unfortunately that. Pharisee approach to life still continues in many of our churches today. Um, yeah, you, in, in Methodist churches, you'll find it. You'll find it almost categorically in much more fundamental churches. I mean, by definition, they just they want everything black and white. They figured it all out. This is the rule. This is the law. We're going to follow that, and that's it. Uh, but that's not what what I see in the New Testament. It's it's a lot more difficult than that. So you have to have to consider again you know, what what God is really saying. Not just pull a verse out and say, there it is. You know, there's much more. You've got to take it all into account, everything that relates to that topic, and take a look at the overall impression that, that, that God is, is making. And uh, you'll sleep a lot better at night because now you're doing it God's way as opposed to, you know, clenched fist trying to make people do what you think is God's law. God doesn't like the law. So... Relax. <laughs> Getting back to paying taxes, I, I always hated the thought of that some of my tax money would go to support abortions. I've even yes. written, I've even written on my tax form, don't use this. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't be res held responsible for promoting abortion. The person who made the law for abortion on the will be held responsible. Yeah, real good example, yeah. So, so I mean, but you can do things like that with your with your tax dollars and yeah, you know, designate. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's it's so you're 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 a conscientious objector in in that particular field, and uh, uh, but again, you know the unchristian thing to do would be if one penny of my tax dollars goes to abortion, I'm going to not pay any of it. That, a lot of Christians do that, and that's 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 not right, no. right? So yeah. render under Caesar, but you can designate where where it goes, yeah, or it doesn't go. Yeah. So we won't be held responsible for something we are forced into by a law. Say that again, Bill. God won't hold us responsible for something we're forced into because we have to obey a law. Yeah. Go back to my example of you have to murder a person a day. So the law says that. So what I'm saying is we need to be aware of what the higher calling is. That we don't have an excuse for not knowing what the higher calling is. So we, we, we can't use the excuse of well, the government told me to do it so I'm going to do it. Right? So when the government comes up with some wacky thing like that that is so obviously against the will of God then we, we can't claim to be faithful Christians by simply, like sheep going to slaughter, mindlessly following some, some crazy law. And again, harken back to the early Christians. Bow down and worship the emperor. Now that's take you two seconds. It's not even difficult. So simple. Just do it. Nope. Not going to. Because the higher calling is, you should have no other gods before me. So again, it's always the 
the bigger picture. So yes, in every every situation, we need to analyze it and 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 come to that conclusion. Now, the, the nice part is a whole bunch of us here that will be willing to enter into conversation with you and, <laughs> and help to help to process that. So you're not doing it in isolation, but certainly also you have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit available to you as well and God's word. So we we can come to the right conclusion, but you know the the danger is to just pacify ourselves by saying the government said to do it, so I will I will do it without putting any thought into it whatsoever. There there are there are there is the possibility of objectionable practices that the government is telling us to do that, that we as Christians would would resist. So, yeah. And each situation is unique and different. There's no hard and fast rule with it. Would be nice, <laughs> but it's usually not black and white. So everything takes a lot of thought. It does. <laughs> but we're here to help. It's not a given. You have to. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So follow through now the, this this wonderful story. Uh, starting in verse thirteen and, and and following, David is you know he has Saul's spear and his water jug, and now as morning breaks, starts yelling over to Saul, you know why are you so irrational and unjust in pursuing me? <laughs> what is the matter with you? In other words, but he begins by chastising Abner, Saul's general whose primary job was to protect the life of the king. <laughs> so, so he's kind of making fun of Abner. I stuck into camp and I easily could have killed the king today, but I didn't. Uh, and as he's saying that, he, he's, he's pleading with Saul that I'm innocent. I've done nothing against you to warrant this kind of hostility. But if you can tell me what I'm guilty of, I would be glad to accept responsibility of that. I will apologize for that. I'll ask for your forgiveness for that. But you've got to tell me what it is. But David's conclusion is, I'm as harmless as a flea, he says. <laughs> I've not done anything. Why all this nonsense? And then again, as we've seen before, verse 21, Saul comes to his right mind and admits that he really has made a mistake. He's actually more clear in this statement of repentance than he ever has been before. Look what he says. I have sinned. That's a real good start. He says, surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. Now that's a real admission of sin, is it not? Sounds great. In fact, Saul now invites David back to the royal palace. Come live with me again. I will not harm you. So now you need to check your history. Has Saul ever said that before? Yeah, like two, three other times. <laughs> right? So, so Saul's word is suspect to say the least. And David remembers... You've promised before you aren't going to harm me, and then a spear comes flying across the room and almost pins, pins me to the wall. So, yeah, I'm not sure I can believe you. you know, based on relative history in this particular situation, your word is untrustworthy. So David decides it is safer to live here in the desert with no water and no food and 600 stinky guys than it is to go be in Israel again with Saul. But I think that's a wise move on his part. 
you almost know what you're going to get going with Saul. You are going to get killed. And then, again, this is the last occasion that, that Saul and David are together and have a conversation. So the last word spoken is that of Saul. Verse 25. You will do great things and surely triumph. So, again, looks like good Saul. I mean, he's not, after David re re rebuffs him, does not say, well, yeah, I'm going to get even with you. I will chase you to the ends of the earth. He doesn't seek revenge on him at all. He gives him a blessing. Yeah, you're going to do great things and surely you will triumph. And sure enough, keep reading, that's exactly what, what does happen. But bottom line is, David, David leaves, lives in a desert, but in the desert continues, not starts, continues to trust in God. While Saul goes home, sits on the throne, but is king in name only. He is literally no longer the king. Now there's chapter 26. That's a big one. Any last minute thoughts, comments, questions on chapter 26? Well, the lesson is to keep God involved in everything. But that is so hard to do. Yep. But the more you practice something, the easier it gets. You just have to have, have to make that on your on your checklist for the day. Yep. But, but like I say, it, you know, if, you, if you wait until the crisis comes and you've not prepared for it, you will be ill-equipped. Much the same as if, 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 if I was uh, wanting to run in a, in a marathon today, I wouldn't make it very far. <laughs> it would be good if God's plans always made sense. Yeah, wouldn't it though? That yep, there is that too. To fight that battle. But again, there's, there's that trust. And, and so that... That was a really good point. I, I think that becomes the major part of the test. You know, the test is, you know, can you pass this test? Can you do do what I want you to do in this in, in this circumstance, in this situation? And it's doubly difficult when we don't really know what what the end result of this is gonna what 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 God is really big picture trying to do. But again, that's such a good part of the test because then all that's left is faith. So harken back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, the definition of faith. Faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That should become our mantra, right? Because when we're in those situations, I don't understand this at all. But I understand the one who is in charge of this situation. I am sure of what I don't see. And that's God. I think that was, that, that was the foundation of, of David's life. And we've seen that time and time again. Chapter 27. We can wing through this one pretty fast. So, living in the desert, not working out real well. Guys are hungry. Boy, do they smell. So, David comes up with an alternate plan. We need to go live somewhere. Well, he can't live in Israel... Because Saul will find him and kill him. Every other nation around is an enemy of Israel. Therefore, an enemy of David. Literally, a man without a country. Where can I go? Where can I go and be safe? Oh, I know. Let's go live with the Philistines. <laughs> Our sworn enemies. 
of all the nations, the Philistines should have been the last one picked. I mean, they hate each other. And remember, David is the one who killed their prize warrior, Goliath, and killed thousands of others, right? So, whatever you do, David, don't go to the Philistines. David says, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and comes up to King Achish, who has been around for a long time. King Achish was the guy that was there when uh, Goliath was killed. I mean, he's been there since pretty much day one. So he knows everything David has done against the Philistines. And David goes marching his way into the royal palace, approaches King Achish, and says, I would like to live here. I'm no longer supporting the Jews. I want to, I want to live here. And King Achish looks at him and says, forgets everything that David has done and says, boy, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> I will welcome my enemy to live with me. Now, in fact, Achish offers a whole town to David and the 600 troops. Town of Ziklok. So, verse 6 says that for generations, Ziklog becomes the royal home of kings. And it does. It's right, right outside of uh, Judah, the tribe of Judah. Now, not only does Achish forget all the, all the Philistine soldiers that David has killed, it seems as though Achish also forgets the previous encounter with David. Remember way back, David came and lived with the Philistines for a short time, some years previous. He came in pretending to be insane. <laughs> Do you remember what Achish says? Oh, it's okay, he can live here. We got plenty of crazy people. <laughs> What's one more, he says. <laughs> right? So, I mean, the last time you were here, you were nuts. But please, by all means, come live with us. So, I think the first day we talked about the Philistines, I told you they're not too bright. <laughs> we have seen tons of evidence to support that. So, it's, it's just in, it, insanity on Akish's part to, to welcome David, David back in again. So, what David does now is, he, he lets Akish know his daily activities. He tells, beginning of the day, he says, I'm going to go out and, and defeat one of your enemies. Well, what he does is, he goes and defeats an enemy of Israel. <laughs> but here's what David must do in every battle. He has to kill every enemy. Because every day he goes back to see Achish. Achish says, well, how was your day? <laughs> And David says, well, I go, went over and killed these bad guys over here that, that, that have been a thorn in your flesh for a while. And Achish says, good boy. Thank you. He never tries to verify the story, never does anything. But if David doesn't kill all the enemy, one of those enemies will get back to Achish and says that what David is really doing. So he can't let the cat out of the bag. David does this for a year and Achish never catches on. Actually, he lives with the Philistines for 16 months. But after a year, the critical event comes. 
In, in verse 12, it reveals what Achish is really doing. He thinks he's so smart. He has welcomed David because now realizing David has nowhere else to go, that David can, will become literally Achish's slave. You have nowhere else to go. You have to do everything I tell you or I'll kill you. So Achish thinks he has one up on David when in fact David is playing Achish like, like a puppet. But the, the King Achish sees David as a, a mercenary soldier and so sends him out on all these little guerrilla wars. So David is actually living with the Philistines and can accomplish two really important goals that are necessary for his well-being. First of all, you know, living with the Philistines protects him from Saul. There's no way Saul is going to have an offensive against the Philistines. Notice every time there's been a battle with the Philistines, it's been defensive. The Philistines have come to Israel. Never once has, has Saul brought the troops to to the Philistines because he knows he's going to lose. So David is safe from Saul. That's, that's a good point. But the second advantage to living with the Philistines is that David now is actually able to defeat enemies of Israel subversively <laughs> without anybody even knowing it. That all of a sudden the people of Israel are waking up the next day and saying, well, our enemy's gone. Wonder who did that? Only the shadow knows, right? So he's very you know, secretive in what he's doing. But he's protecting himself and protecting Israel in the process. Talk about a win-win. This guy's a genius. So that's pretty much the story in chapter 27. Told you it'd be quick. By the way, chapter 29 is going to be twice as quick. <laughs> but we'll have to get to that probably not until next week. What other thoughts do you have in 27? Chapter 28, pretty exciting story. A lot of fun starting now. After a year of David living with the Philistines, the Philistines now decide to attack Israel again. And the king expects David to not only accompany him into battle, but to serve as King Achish's personal bodyguard. So he's demanding now that David go with the Philistines and kill Jews. Now, Judy, here we go. <laughs> right? This is maybe the greatest example of the higher calling and being stuck in an impossible situation. Now, the lead up for this Philistines are approaching. David is told, You have to accompany me and be my bodyguard and kill Jews. Saul sees it coming. Saul doesn't know what to do. Again, never seems to know what to do. He tries a Hail Mary and throws up a quick prayer to God. But now remember, the king was not given the responsibility of a priestly role. The priestly role was to consult with God. A prophet's role is to consult with God. But Saul goes himself. Well, he goes himself because there were no more priests or prophets left. Samuel died, right? And 
Way back when, Saul went a little crazy and had all the priests in a town called Nob killed. Not Blue Nob, just N-O-B Nob. Right? Had all the priests of Nob killed. So now nobody's left to go to to consult God, to inquire of God. So Saul throws a quick prayer up. God, what should I do? Waits five seconds, doesn't get an answer. Well, I've got to take this under, under my own responsibility now. But, Saul had already killed or pushed out of Israel all of the mediums, all the astrologers, all the palm readers, all the tarot card readers, all, the, you know, all those who do that kind of stuff. It was a Jewish law. No one is allowed in Israel who does that. It was actually a good law. Because God really hates that stuff. So, the law was, none of those will be here. Yeah, there were still some there. <laughs> and somehow Saul figured out this lady you know, is a medium who does this, kind of under the radar, but she does that. We need to go talk to her. And so Saul shows up and she knows who the king is. And are you a medium? Oh, no. <laughs> Right, so she, yeah, because if she says yes, yeah, he's trying to trick her, and uh, you know he'll have her killed. So uh, she can't do that. But he's actually able to convince her that you know he's legit and he's not going to kill her, and he just needs to talk to Samuel, the dead prophet. So sure enough, the medium conjures up the spirit of Samuel. Now. This is going to blow your mind. You are going to leave here today with a twitch. <laughs> Saul wants to conjure up Samuel to ask, what's going to happen in this battle? I want to know the future. So, first question is, does God really want us to know the future? Specifics, no. like the day you're going to die. You know, tomorrow what what is going to happen? Um, no. All right. So, at face value, what what Saul is trying to do is not godly. It's evil. Okay. Keep going. The medium conjures up the spirit of Samuel, and Saul is terrified but somehow doesn't recognize Samuel. He asks the medium to describe what Samuel looks like. And she describes it, okay, that's Samuel. <laughs> right? So he's so afraid he can't even see what this is. But it says he's terrified. He's terrified of what, what is happening. So it, it, it says there, um, or verse 6 or something, that the only way you, you can inquire of God is, is by a dream, by Urim, U-R-I-M, do your Bible have that? Mm -hmm. that's, that's casting lots. Yes. Right? Yes. Or by prophecy. Those are the legitimate ways to, to inquire of God. A medium is not a prophet. Right? So, again, against God's plan. So, here's the kicker. 
It specifies where Samuel comes from. Do you remember where he comes from? Up out of the ground. Now, where do we normally think of heaven? Above us. <laughs> where do we usually think of hell? Whatever. So you have an evil person, a medium, working with an evil king to perform an evil act of discovering the future that God doesn't want you to know. Now, that's three strikes and you're out. Do you think God would honor a triple evil with good? If two wrongs don't make a right, <laughs> three wrongs don't make a right either. So, here's the part that's going to blow your mind. So, you can't start that way and have an angel show up. He's coming from the ground. And does he seem to be real happy, Samuel? He's kind of cranky, isn't he? So, here it is, folks. Samuel is not in heaven. Why have you disturbed me, he shouts. He's not real pleasant. He's not cherub-like, as you would expect someone from heaven. Right? So again, you know, this isn't how God operates. God doesn't... When you go and ask an evil person... You know, if you believe you know, some relative of yours or some holy person who has gone on before you is in heaven and you go to a medium and ask that medium to conjure up the spirit of a holy person, that ain't going to happen. Right? If God wants you to know, he'll send that holy person to you. He'll send an angel to you. But just because you're asking doesn't mean you're going to get it. It's not going to happen. So what we have here is a really, really bad situation. He's coming from the ground. So now the question becomes, we have, we're studying a book named after this guy, Samuel. Actually, two of them. But he's not in heaven. He didn't go to heaven. Now why would you think that's the case? He's a prophet of God. Do you remember how irritated God was with Samuel for allowing his sons to be so evil? God basically said, I put you in charge of this store. And you neglected my anointing of you. So basically God did with Samuel the same thing he, he is doing now with Saul. He is withdrawn. You no longer have my blessing. Now go back to, and I noted several chapters ago, when Samuel died. 
One verse. Samuel died. Period. <laughs> that was it. The book is named after him. You think it'd be one of the greatest people who ever lived. It'd be great fanfare. They would give this great eulogy. They would say, you know, you know what a great guy he was. Nothing. Samuel died. That's why. You don't exalt someone who is not righteous, not holy. So you learn as much from the Bible as from what is not there as much as what is. For that to be excluded is a real red flag. And it's pointing to something. Now we know what it was pointing to. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the Bible does that throughout. You know, it, it leaves things out that you would expect would be there. That's making the point that this person or this situation was not an act of righteousness for God. So it just leaves it out. It bypasses it. Uh, Bathsheba, after the affair with David, her name is never used again in the Bible. She's referred to multiple times, but always as Uriah's wife, not David's wife. Uriah's wife. They, they, they will not use her name. It's stricken from the record. So, I mean, it just, that's another example of it. So when, when something seems too short, seems missing, seems whatever, probably a good reason for it. It's just the, the Bible's way of you know, making, making a point. But the bottom line is, if you have to know everything, if you have to know tomorrow, you have no faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So you may have hopes for tomorrow. The hopes are based on your trust in God, that God will be there for you. You can't see it, but you're still sure of it. That's faith. If you have to know for sure, if you have to consult a medium to prove to you that God will be with you tomorrow, then that's the opposite of faith. That is not faith. That is evil. And if you are partnering with evil, God says, bye-bye, thanks for playing our game. You don't get in to the kingdom. So that's why you know, witchcraft, horoscopes, you know, the mediums, all those type of the occult is a broad category, why the occult appears more in the list of people who don't go to heaven than murderers. Well, it's an evil gift. See, there, there is evil power that we can tap into. So, in fact, uh, I, I suspect at least 90% of mediums and palm readers and all of that are charlatans and just fake. But 10% are legit. They actually have tapped into that evil satanic power. And so God won't give it to you, but the devil will. And again, God allows it. That's part of the limited power of demonic forces. They don't have all power, but they have that much power. That seems pretty good, but you know, it's 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 evil. So again, you know, if you're playing with a Ouija board, you're literally conjuring up a demon. 
Because God is going to give you that power, you see. But you're saying, I believe there is a power that will give me the capability of doing that. I want to tap into that. And you're literally tapping into pure, unadulterated evil. Yep. Oh, there's stories of you know, people playing Ouija boards and instantly become demon-possessed. They're literally looking into that chasm and saying, yeah, come on out. I want this one thing, and if you're going to give it to me, I'll take it. I'll take all the other bad consequences with it, but you know, I want to know what tomorrow's going to bring. Uh, tell me, tell me what the what 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 the winning Powerball number is. Uh, <laughs> I want one one point four billion dollars, right? That's, people, you know, when you talk about selling your soul, that's exactly what we're talking about. You 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 want this one thing, and we'll give away every other aspect of your life to get that that one thing: wealth, fame, power, whatever whatever that is. Unfortunately, Satan is willing to give that to you. So when you you, you deny the Holy Spirit, you're saying. I want I want evil in my life. Satan says, oh, I'll work with you. Yep. But go back to what, what Paul says. Doing that, you know the consequence of that. You know you are going to wind up in hell. You know that is that is the end result. And you're still saying, Yep, sign me up. Wow. Well, there's a good place to stop for the day. No, they do. Romans chapter 1. That's, that's the whole point. It, it, four, four times in ten verses, Paul uses the word they know. They know. Everybody has the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit you have and you know that's wrong, is the same Holy Spirit within them. But they have suppressed the truth. They have, found, they, they have exchanged the truth for a lie. They've, they've, taken, they've, they've, they've pushed God down so that they could fill it with evil. It's, well, it, 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 and Paul actually says that they know the consequence of their actions, of their choices. I didn't really know that until we learned it here. I mean, I'm not saying I did that, but I'm just saying. Right. Good thing you're here. <laughs> now, now your job is to go tell others. So, so you know, let's let's pay pay our taxes and may, maybe what what we should do is is, is protest in, in in front of uh, mediums and and palm readers and <laughs> you ever notice how many there there are of them at the beach that always struck me out there's none here in Bedford right but the, like every other storefront at, 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 on a boardwalk or something is, is a medium it's like what <laughs> there's never anybody in them but there's there's a whole slew of them <laughs> it's like don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 